Awesome. Well, uh, how are we doing tonight? Awesome. That guy's doing good. Um, Amen. How are we doing tonight? Good. Okay. Awesome. Well, I, I'm excited to be here, uh, to be with you guys here on the beginning of Easter weekend. Um, my name's Caleb. Uh, I'm one of the pastoral residents here at Mosaic. Um, I'm primarily over at WDW, the Walt Disney campus, where uh, Mickey and, and all things uh, Pixie Dust live. But it's awesome to be here again with you guys um, here at the Young Adult Gathering as we kick off Easter weekend. Because Easter weekend is, uh, this is, this is the, the, the biggest holiday in the church calendar. For like this is this is the the weekend that we look forward to going like this is this is the apex for us right and so I was trying to think like what are the what are the big moments in our society that maybe we can relate to and so that that maybe we can go okay this is like the, a huge deal and so I was thinking maybe uh, the the movie premiere of Deathly Hallows Part Two was a big deal. We're like, okay, this is, this is it, finally. Like, the, the movies have, have climaxed. This is it. This is the end of it. I was too lazy to read the book, so I'm just now getting to the movies, and we're like, okay, this is it. Or perhaps maybe Harry Potter isn't your thing, and you, you, you got really excited about the season finale of The Bachelorette, and you're like, okay, this, this is what I'm looking forward to. That guy, we'll have a conversation later. Um, <laughs> But maybe that's what you're looking forward to. Um, or, or perhaps maybe you're, you're a, a guy, you love sports, and like Super Bowl Sunday is like your thing. You're like, yes, I, Super Bowl Sunday is the greatest weekend in sports. And, and you look forward to that because this is the moment, the kind of the apex of your sporting year. Or maybe you're kind of maybe lean a little bit more hipster and you get real excited when there's a, a new superstore thrift shop that opens up. And you're like, yes, I can't wait to go and pop some tags and save a lot of money. Um, but whatever it is, Whatever is a big deal to you in your life, right, it pales in comparison to how big of a deal Easter is in regards to our faith. Uh, this, is, this is the holiday, right? Even more so than Christmas. You may go, are we sure about that? Because Christmas is super popular. Like, they get all, all the family gatherings and all the, the TV spots. But, but here's the thing is that Christmas would be insignificant without Easter, is that without, without Easter, without the death and the resurrection of Jesus, if Jesus didn't in fact die and, and come back from the grave, then Christmas would just be a story about somebody else who was born and, and died. But what, what, wakes, what makes Christmas significant is the fact is that that child was born and that whenever he died, he rose again. And, and so this is, for us, this is, this is the weekend. And so it's awesome to be able to, to usher into that weekend uh, here on Thursday night as we begin to move into tonight and then into Good Friday tomorrow night and then into Easter Sunday. Uh, and so tonight we get a chance to kind of step back and go, okay, so here we are on Thursday night. Here we are on Thursday night right before Good Friday. Uh, few days before Easter Sunday. And we get a chance to kind of step back and, and go, okay, we get to look at Jesus's week and see where was he on that Thursday night? Where was he on the Thursday night before Good Friday, before he walked to the cross, a few days before Easter Sunday? And, and we get to, to kind of place ourselves there in that moment. This Thursday night, we get to enter into that Thursday night where Jesus was in that moment as he was walking through this holy week, as he was walking towards the cross, he was walking towards his mission to bring many sons to glory. And so we get to, to go there tonight. And so where Jesus was on that Thursday night, he was in a room um, with his disciples. And they were in this upper room, uh, the, uh, the gospel's uh, account of it, that they were in this upper room and they were sharing the Passover feast. 
And as they, as they sat there, Jesus was uh, breaking the bread. And this is where he instituted uh, communion, the, the Lord's Supper here at this Last Supper. And so if you were here last weekend at all and heard Renaud talk about what communion was, or perhaps you were here whenever Danny talked about what communion is, it was here that it was instituted in this moment on this Thursday night before Good Friday when Jesus was sitting at the table with his disciples and he grabbed the bread and he broke it and he handed it out and said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he passed it around and said, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. And this was the moment where Jesus was about to walk into his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And so we get to, to enter into that space, right? We get to walk up the stairs into that upper room and open the door and see the disciples sitting there with Jesus as they're celebrating this Passover meal. But, but before we, we get there, I, I wanna go to maybe a place that, that, that maybe we wouldn't expect to start off in order to get to that point, right? We're gonna go, we're gonna go back a few thousand years uh, to kind of develop the significance of what was happening at that table. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and uh, grab them or turn them on, whatever your preference is. Um, if you grab one of these guys, walking in, we're gonna be on page 11. We're gonna be in Genesis 22. So Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Um, and the chapter numbers are the big numbers, verse numbers are the small numbers. So we're going to be in chapter 22, verses 1 through 13. So this is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Okay, this is the story of, of God testing Abraham and asking him to sacrifice his son. And so we, we jump in here at um, chapter 22, verse 1, on page 11. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And so, so off the bat, God is asking Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. He is he's asking a father to offer his son as a sacrifice. And, and that in and of itself is audacious enough, that, that request. But, but beyond that, Isaac wasn't just any child. You see, Isaac was a child of promise. And what that means is that for the last 10 chapters before Genesis 22, God has been talking with Abraham. He's been making promises and covenants with Abraham saying, Abraham, listen, I am going to do a mighty work through you, that you will have a son. I know that, that you and your wife have been trying, that you can't have children, but I promise Abraham, you will have a son. And through that son will come many nations. Just look up, look at the stars. And your descendants will be greater than the number of the stars in the sky. And that through them, I will bless your people to be a blessing to all the world. And this would come through a son. And through years of struggle and Abraham trying to get around him, not being able to, to have children, finally him and his wife had a son and they had Isaac. And this was the son that God had promised them. This was the son that God said, hey, this, through him, through Isaac will come many people, will come many nations. And then we get to 22. And we, and we begin now to feel how strange of a test this is. Because God had promised Abraham, through your son Isaac will come many nations. But yet while he was still a boy, God is now telling Abraham to go and sacrifice him. And so put yourself in Abraham's shoes, trying to reconcile what this means, hearing the promise of God and now hearing the request of God. And how the two seem to to kind of collide with one another. And there, there seems to be no way that each of them can be true. 
And so we keep going then in verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Now that place was the place that he knew he would have to sacrifice his son. So you're beginning to feel the turmoil that Abraham is in. Verse five, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. And, and again, you, you feel what Abraham is doing here. Do you see what, what he calls his son here? He says, he says, I and the boy will go up to the mountain. He doesn't say his name. He doesn't say his son. You can, you can almost feel him going, okay, I, I think I know what I'm going to have to do. It seems like I'm going to have to offer my son as a sacrifice. Let me begin to, to put some space between us, some emotional distance between us, right? This is, this is true if you've ever had a pet that you know that you can't keep. You know that in a month or two, you're going to have to give it away. Maybe you're just seeing it for a little while and you have to give it back. What have your parents or your good friends always told you? Don't name the animal. Because the second you name the animal, right, there's something in our heart that begins to become attached to it. And so I don't know if you know Seth. Seth's the guy over here um, on the keys playing it up over here. He recently adopted two squirrels, which I guess is cool. That's, they're, they're sweet and, and cuddly and, and rodents, but for, there is something like precious about them. So they're so young um, that whenever he had them for a while, they didn't even open their eyes. They're just like walking around blind and just sweet and precious. And they've since opened their eyes. And I was talking to him and I said, Seth, like, have you, have you bought pet squirrels? Like, is that a thing now that, that people do? And, uh, and through a circumstance, he, he took these squirrels in as loving and caring for them, knowing that he's going to have to give them back into the wild one day. He said, so with that being the case, I know that I can't keep them. I'm not going to name them because I know I need to keep my heart, I need to guard my heart and make sure that I'm not too attached to these, these squirrels that, that my heart would be broken one day. But I talked to Seth uh, a few minutes ago and he said that he's recently named both of them. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the names are uh, Arebo and, and then his personal favorite flower um, are the two names of the squirrels. And you can just see him as he's talking about them. Just his face lights up. And I'm like, man, it's not gonna be a good day for you, Seth, whenever you've gotta let them back in the wild. So, uh, so anyway, but, but the second that you name an animal, your heart begins to become attached to it. And so, so you stay away from the names that keep your distance. And, and Abraham's doing the same thing here. He's like, man, I and the boy will go up to the place and worship. But notice what he says next. He said, and then we will come back again. And so we begin to see this, this wrestle with Abraham as he's going, okay, I know that God has promised me that Isaac will be my child of promise, that through him will come many nations. But I also know that I may have to obey God and kill him. And so I, I don't necessarily know how these two things will line up, but I know that we will come back down together again. Moving on in um, verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went up together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
See, Isaac was, was probably about a teenager whenever he, this was happening. So he was aware enough and perceptive enough to go, okay, we're walking up this mountain. It's just me and my dad. We have the wood, we have the fire, we have everything we need except for the lamb to sacrifice. So Isaac's beginning to catch on. There's, there's something going on here. And Abraham responds and he says in verse eight, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went up together. So Abraham, again, you hear the, the assurance to his son, but also the desperate hope, just praying, God, you've promised, please provide a lamb instead of my son. Please provide a lamb. Verse nine, and when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So you can imagine just the angst in Abraham as he's sitting there putting the wood in order, binding his son with rope, laying him on the altar. You can imagine that he's desperately looking around, just praying, God, surely there will be a lamb that will come that will be able to move my son and bring the lamb in his place. But there's still no lamb. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The father's hand was raised ready to fall and take the life of his son. When we get to verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so in this moment, the angel tells Abraham, don't lay your hand on the boy. And it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a ram. And that expression that he lifted up his eyes is the exact same expression used at the beginning of the story when it said that he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar, the mountain that he would have to kill his son. And so at first he lifted his eyes and saw the place that he would sacrifice his son. And later in the story, when he lifted his eyes, he saw the substitute for the sacrifice of his son. And this is the first time in the scriptures that we see this idea of a substitute kind of take shape, right? There, there was a moment in Genesis three where it's implied where Adam and Eve sin and they rebel and, and they were naked and they see their nakedness and they're ashamed. And it says that God covered them with animal skins. Now I know I'm from Louisiana, but I'm not a proficient hunter, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that in order to get animal skins, you have to first kill an animal. And so while it's not explicitly given there, we see here in Genesis 3, this is, it's implied here that there was an animal that was killed, sacrificed, and his skins were used to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. But here in Genesis 22 is the first time that it's explicit. It's the first time that we see that God's beginning to teach the people of Israel, listen, that what we deserve, what you deserve is death. But there is a way in which there can be a substitute in your place. And this, this idea continues to be developed throughout the Old Testament. And God begins to institute throughout the book of Leviticus this idea of a sacrificial system. 
in which this now becomes more commonplace and, and ritualistic where every year now the high priest will go into the Holy of Holies, this, this room where the presence of God dwells. And he would bring with him a sacrifice. He would bring with him a lamb that in the place of the sins of the people of Israel would offer this lamb in their place. And the high priest would have to cleanse himself and go through all of these rituals to be able to even enter into that room. And once a year, this would be repeated over and over. The day of atonement, the sacrifice of a lamb to cover the sins of the people. And God is trying to teach Israel in this moment, in the Old Testament, a number of things. And one of the things that he tries to teach them, he says, listen, your sin, your rebellion, it has to be punished. That sin demands death. And, and, and we maybe hear that and we go, Okay, easy, easy, man. That's, that's, a little, that's a little harsh. Like I'm not, I know that there are people out there who do awful things. I just turn on the news and I see that. But, but I don't, I'm not really in that category. I don't know if what I do really demands that kind of punishment. And, and I would say that, that if we're looking at what we do, maybe, but, but primarily our issue is not as much what we do, but who we do it against. Right, so I, I remember, I don't know if any of you remember this story, uh, a few years ago in Washington, D.C., there was a couple who somehow crashed this black tie event in Washington, D.C., in which the President of the United States was there. So they get past security, they're not on the list, they crashed his party, they go, they take a picture with Barack Obama, like they're next to him, hanging out, take a picture, like it's their profile pic on Facebook the next day, like they are kicking it with them there, and then when they get found out that they weren't on the guest list, they not only get kicked out of the party, they get banned from the District of Columbia. You, they got ejected out of a city. Now, I don't know if, if any of you, like me, have ever gone to a party that you weren't invited to. Right? I, I had a friend one time who had a birthday party. I guess we weren't close enough friends for him to invite me, whatever. I don't hold a grudge anymore. Obviously, I'm not bitter. But he didn't invite me. And I thought, you know what? It's not, like, it's not that big of a deal. We're in college I'll just show up anyway. I'll just bring a present. I'll bring some food. It'll be great. And so I show up uninvited. And what do you think the guy does? You think he bans me from the city that we were in? Not quite. He takes my food, eats all of it, and then says, man, I should have invited you earlier. I don't know what I was thinking. And it was no big deal at all. But, but if you look, what I did and what I'm sure Let's, let's be honest, right? It's a place we can be honest that each of you have done as well. You've gone to something you weren't invited to. That that action is the same thing that this couple in Washington, D.C. did. So why is it that for us, it's just kind of shrugged off and laughed about. And for them, they were ejected and banned from an entire city. Because whenever I went to that college birthday party, this 19-year-old guy didn't really hold much power or a threat to the global security of the world. He was just a guy that was having a hard time passing by um, biology. I was about to say biography. And I was like, that's not a class. That's going to be weird. Uh, but he was just a guy that was having a hard time passing biology, right? He didn't really matter that much in the scope of uh, the world security. But you look at Barack Obama, and this is the most powerful man in the world. And even though the action was the same, we just crashed a party, went to a party we weren't invited to. The difference is who we did it against, and it's the same for us, that our, our, um, our ownership 
and the punishment that is meant for us. It's not, it's not primarily about what we do, but it's who we do it against. And so since we have rebelled and turned against an infinite and eternal God, then we deserve an infinite and eternal punishment. That's where we stand. And this is what God is trying to teach the people of Israel and to teach us through this sacrificial system saying that sin demands death, but he, he does something else. He's beginning to teach them that our sin and our shame can be transferred to another. That, that here in this moment, in this story with, with Isaac, that, that there was a ram who took his place. Then the sacrificial system, the guilt of Israel was placed onto an animal and was offered as a sacrifice in their place, right? Did you hear the wording that, that they offered up, Abraham offered up a ram instead of his son. That there is a way for our guilt and our sin to be transferred to another. And God's teaching them one more thing throughout the Old Testament. That this system of, of sacrificing lambs, of sacrificing a lamb yearly, it, it's not sufficient. It isn't enough to remove completely our guilt. Right, because, because it would have to be done year after year after year after year. There was no one-time sacrifice, this, this perfect lamb that could come and then take away everybody's sin and now we're good to go. No, it had to be done every year. The same rituals, the same cleansing, the same lambs had to be killed and their sins were covered, but they were not removed. And so, so here we stand now as, as we look and see that Isaac in this story asked a question that, that I think he, he was certainly unaware of how profound it was. But as he was walking up the mountain, he looked at his father and he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? And you can take that question, those four words, and sum up the entire message of the Old Testament in those four words. Where is the lamb? That, that beginning here in Genesis and continuing to grow throughout the sacrificial system, throughout the Old Testament, there's beginning to be this groaning, this longing for a perfect sacrifice that could come and finally, once and for all, remove our sin, stand in our place as a perfect substitute and be the ultimate lamb. But you hear the groaning and the longing for, where is that lamb? You hear it in the mouth of every priest and every prophet. You hear it in the mouth of the kings. You see it in the hearts of the men and the women throughout Israel, longing for and groaning and yearning for the lamb that could take away their sin once and for all. Where is the lamb? And we fast forward then to the New Testament. And we fast forward back to that room on that Thursday before Good Friday. And we come around the table and we're sitting there and we're reading the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. And every single account of that Last Supper talks about the different elements of the Passover feast. Mentions the bread, mentions the wine. But there's something strangely but intentionally left out in every single account. The central focus of the Passover meal was the Passover lamb. 
This was what was the focal point of the entire feast. This is what was centralized and focused on. But yet in every account, the lamb is never mentioned on the table. The bread gets some words. The wine gets talked about. But the lamb is never mentioned. But guys, the lamb isn't mentioned on the table because the lamb was sitting there at the table. Jesus Christ was there with them. And John the Baptist gives us the answer to that Old Testament question, where is the lamb? He gives us the New Testament answer in John 1.29. He says, behold, the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Finally, finally, all of that has been building up throughout the Old Testament, this longing for a sacrifice, a substitute who would come in our place, who would come and take our death that we deserve, have it transferred onto him and would do it in such a way that it would be final, that it would be sufficient, that it would be enough once and for all, that it would never have to be repeated, that we would never have to try to do anything to earn favor, but that it would be given to us freely. And this is, this is the difference. This is the difference between Christianity and every other religion is that every other religion, you're trying to earn your way to God. But the difference with Christianity is that God came to us and picked us up where where we were and brought us to him. He came and became a man. He entered into the human story. He left his throne and became a lamb, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he entered into our place as we were laying there on the altar of wood, that he came and moved us out of the way and stood in our place. And on the cross, when the hand of his heavenly father was lifted to drop and slay the son, no one stopped the hand this time. And the hand of the father fell and the son was killed. The son was slaughtered. The lamb was slain. And in our place condemned, he stood. And he bore our punishment. He took on our death so that we could have his life. And so this Easter, as we begin to, to walk into this weekend, man, all, all we are doing is preparing our hearts for this truth, for this reality, that the lamb has finally come. And that we would begin to focus our eyes that we would fix our gaze, that we would behold, that we would turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what we're doing this weekend. As we leave this Thursday and we enter into Good Friday tomorrow, that we worship, that we have our eyes fixed on the Lamb of God, Jesus and we are worshiping him. We can worship him in the grief of Friday. And we can worship him in the silence of Saturday. And we can worship him in the victory of Easter Sunday. And that our hearts would be prepared. Our hearts would be fixed on him. That we would see him as beautiful and satisfying and life-giving above anything else that this world has to offer. And that we see our place there on the altar. Like Isaac he was a sacrifice, right? And whenever the ram was found, notice that they were looking for a lamb and they didn't find one. It was a ram that came and took his place because the true lamb hadn't yet come. But when the ram took the place of Isaac, there as Isaac was a sacrifice, 
Isaac then was able to walk away and become a living sacrifice. And we see our place there on the altar. And we see what Jesus, the Lamb of God, has done for us, taking our place. Then we walk out of this room. We walk into our lives as living sacrifices with all of our lives being fixed on him in worship. Everything we do, trying to bring him glory in response to what he has done for us. And so we focus our eyes on the Lamb of God. And finally, that question, where is the Lamb? We remember this Easter. Praise God that the Lamb has come and taken away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to be able to come and just see who you are, God, and see what you have done for us, the incredible sacrifice that we did not deserve, but that you came and you died for us, that you took our place on that altar, you took our place on that cross, and you died in our place. God, help us to see the joy and the freedom that is found through your son, through the lamb of God. God, that we would, whether we have been in here for the first time or whether we've been in here a million times, God, that we would have our hearts reminded or maybe seen for the very first time that you are beautiful, that you are satisfying, that you are enough. And we thank you so much for what you have done for us, for dying in our place and giving us a life that we never, never deserved. We pray all these things in your son's beautiful name. Thank you.